It's lovely to be together again. Um, I know we've got a few guys on holiday still, being half term, so uh, I hope they've gone somewhere nicer than, than this, this morning. Um, I don't mean in here. In here is clearly lovely. Um, but out there, it's a little damp, isn't it? Um, I, um, I want to talk this morning out of um, Matthew's Gospel. We're going to get into um, a fairly chunky bit of scripture, if that's okay. And we're going to take a little break this morning from our course, a um, little half-term break. So uh, we're going to um, look at a different topic. I, I wanted to talk this morning about forgiveness. Um, I felt stirred, um, I guess, over the last few weeks. Uh, with this topic, um, but I've really just found myself just sitting um, a fair bit in Matthew 18. Um, sometimes when we read the Bible, we tend to hone in on particular individual verses, don't we? And other times, though, it's good just to kind of let a bigger section wash over us. So I've just been um, looking at Matthew 18 as an entire chapter um, for the last few weeks, and um, I'm not going to attempt to draw everything out of Matthew 18 in one preach because, A, you'd be here too long, and, uh, B, I think I would probably uh, struggle to do that. But I do want to focus particularly on verses 21 to 35. Um, And, uh, you know, I was looking at this whole um, subject of forgiveness, and um, I, I came across a story about a girl. This was back in about 2008, 2009. Um... And it was a girl giving testimony about the murder of her mother. So her mum was murdered by her stepfather. And uh, this girl was just talking about the, the process of working through the reality of, of what that meant to her in terms of life change. And uh, the, there was footage, film footage, of her in the courtroom with the father-in-law, uh, the stepfather. And her... Be able in front of all the press and all the media to be able to stand up and to be able to say to this guy, look, I don't know what led you to murder my mother, but I forgive you. And it was such a powerful demonstration of, of her faith. And, it turned out, and I, I, I just sat there watching you thinking, this girl must be a Christian to be able to walk through this. And sure enough, it turned out that, that she was, and she was really giving testimony of what it is to be forgiven and therefore to be able to forgive. And it was a very powerful kind of thing. And it's just got me thinking through this whole issue of forgiveness. So um, we're going to look in a minute at verse 21 onwards. But um, really... When we look at Scripture, we sometimes look at it as if Jesus is kind of reading through the script, don't we? Because there wasn't a New Testament, was there? There was just the Old Testament Scriptures. That's what they had. So for Jesus, he wasn't just reading through a script of, of this is the, uh, the, the advanced copy of the New Testament, which I'm now just kind of acting out, and then at different moments the disciples pop up and they play their part and do their bit, and, and, and then you know, the other people do that. There, there was, there's something else going on. Jesus is actually living life and imparting stuff through his life to us which was recorded and um so uh, we we have in in the um in the gospels we have parables don't we and um parables are really short stories or or illustrations which help to bring meaning or bring definition to something that's true so we have jesus bringing parables, parabolic stories, these um, uh, analogies, these um, uh, sections where he says, look, let me explain it this way. And he goes into into a story. But the reality is Jesus's whole life is caught up with meaning and with is a parable. The whole of his life is to illustrate truth, the fact that he is the truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. The whole point of his life is to lead us through to that revelation of who he is and who the Father is. So when we read our Bibles, it's not just that we read the story and we just get out of the parable what Jesus is saying. We have to look at the parable in the context of his entire life because it's it's not just in the red letters, <laughs> the red bits of your Bible, that we see the character and the nature of who God is and who Jesus is. We see it in the whole thing. 
And so it's important that as we read, we read the Gospels, we don't just go, oh, well, they're the important bits. <laughs> we actually, we see the whole of, of, of what Jesus is getting at through the way he lived and the way that he applied this stuff. Um, okay. So the context then leading up to this verse 21 is um, Jesus really, he's, he kicked off in the first few years, he's answering this question, who's the greatest in the kingdom? He was asked this question by the disciples, and he seeks to answer that. And he really is spending the entire of of chapter 18 addressing that issue, addressing the issue of how significant we all are. Then he goes into the parable of the lost sheep. Uh, He goes into the whole thing about resolving conflict. And really the whole thing is because what he's doing is, is, is drawing our attention to our significance, significance of us as individuals, but also of us in relationship together. And so he's, he's setting this whole thing up so that by the time we get to verse 21, Peter is struggling to understand. He's trying to work out the theology. He's trying to work out what Jesus is teaching. And he gets to verse 21. And, uh, and he's, he's just he's trying to grapple with it, isn't he? So he's gone through this thing. He's listened to Jesus talk about resolving conflict. And... Uh, And so he starts off this um, in verse 21. So then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. So he's understood that Jesus is saying, look, you've got to forgive one another. Um, So he's now going, well, he's he's coming at it from a legal mindset. He's coming at it from an, an old mindset of, well, okay, well, what's the process then? Let's work the process through, and then I can come to a conclusion. So then I know that if, if, you know, I can forgive him six times, but if, you know, we get to the end of the seventh one, I know that there's a a cutoff point. Peter seems to think that that's fair. Um, And I guess for some of us, we kind of have some sympathy with that view, don't we? That actually if somebody keeps on wronging us, how many times do we keep going back and saying, it's okay, I forgive you? How, ma- how many times do we keep going through that rigmarole to then only get hurt again, only get hurt again? And so Peter, we, we, I, I, I sympathize with him, yeah? He's trying to work this out. So Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now, poor old Peter at that point, you can almost feel his, ah, I don't get it, I don't get what you're talking about. So, um, so let's read through then what Jesus is talking about then. Verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who had owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what do you owe? So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Okay, so there's a lot in there, isn't there? Um, We're just going to take this through verse by verse and just break it down. And, uh, and unpack the story, and, uh, and then we're just going to um, apply it um, as best we can to us as individuals and us as a church. So, verse 23. Therefore, he starts off. When he says, therefore, he means, therefore, in the light of all the other stuff I've just been talking to you about through chapter 18, this is what's important. And 
The therefore really is in light of this unlimited model of grace that we are talking about. In light of the fact that you're going to forgive somebody 77 times, 700 times, 7 times, however you want to put it, you're going to forgive and forgive and forgive. Um, It's frustrating for Peter to have heard that, frustrating for the disciples. Um, But nevertheless, Jesus starts off, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts for his servants. Now, this king, the king is really a bookkeeper. Okay, in this story, the king is a bookkeeper. Um, The king could be described as a venture capitalist in today's terms, an entrepreneur. He could be described as a businessman. We could even refer to him as a dragon. Okay? This is um, uh, a bookkeeper. Now, this between them is a business relationship. Okay? So, for a solvent servant, the king to be coming to him... To redeem the, uh, to ask for the debt to be uh, to sort of paid for, the account to be settled, that would not be a problem. However, if the, the servant is insolvent, if he is not able to pay the debt, then he has a problem. Um, and it's purely that, it's a business relationship between them. Um, okay, verse 24. When he began to settle, One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Okay, so I have looked up that a talent, you might even say in the footnotes of your Bible somewhere, um, that one talent is the equivalent to 20 years wages for the average laborer. I don't know what the average laborer earned then. Um, I don't quite know what the average laborer earns now. 150 quid a day, something like that. So um, 20 years Wages for a labourer, okay, um, is one talent. Now this guy <laughs> had racked up ten thousand of those those uh, talents. This is quite a debt. The point of this is that this is a ridiculously enormous, unpayable debt, isn't it? Virtually, yeah, seemingly unpayable. Um, we might as well call it a billion pounds, okay. We'll call it the billion pound debt. Um, This is one heck of a business deal that went wrong. (laughs) Okay. Verse 25. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. Okay, this does sound a bit harsh, but it's a business deal. Okay? If you've ever been involved with people in business, there would be no reason for you to suspect at this point that there is any sense, any need for forgiveness. It's purely business. It's gone wrong. You've got to recoup your losses, do what you can, and, and call it a day. So that's really what's going on. Obviously, we're talking about masters and servants, which culturally is quite different to what we are used to in terms of business arrangements. So therefore, um, in today's terms, if we were to uh, have a a business debt, it would feel a bit unreasonable to have our wives and children sold um, to pay the debt off. But nevertheless, we're talking about a servant-master relationship. Um, But still, they were the terms that these guys lived by, so that was culturally what was normal for them. Um, there is no reason for us to expect forgiveness at this point in this story. So verse 26, So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Um, This word, have patience, it really means, Please be big-hearted towards me. Have a heart, please. Don't sell my wife and children. Um, The guy, in all honesty, is in a hopeless situation. He might be suggesting that he can try and pay it off, but he's clearly deluded. Yeah? Um, He really is at the end of his his tether, his rope. I'm falling into field territory now, aren't I? I'm mixing up metaphors. Um, He's come to the end of the road. (laughs) 
he hasn't really got anywhere else to turn, so he just goes for this last-ditched attempt of, look, look, have mercy on me. I'll, I'll pay you back. I'll pay, I promise. I'll pay you back, Governor. <laughs> it's that kind of thing. Um, the best thing at this point for the king to do is to stick to his guns, to strip the assets, take the stuff, and call it quits, write it off, bad debt. Yeah? Verse 27, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. At this point, our jaws should be dropping because this is not the behavior of the businessman. This is not the behavior of the bookkeeper if he wants to stay in business. Yeah? The king's attitude has changed completely so that number one, the servant is released, and number two, the debt is cancelled. We go from no mercy at all, which would be the expected course of events, to complete and utter forgiveness, complete mercifulness. So the servant who was forgiven the debt clearly has got no understanding of what has just happened to him. Because as we go on to read in the next verse, he doesn't respond in the way that you would expect somebody who has just been forgiven this enormous debt. Let's read verse 28. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Denarii? Am I saying that right? Anyone? Yeah? Denarii? Denarii? Um... Uh, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. Um, okay, now a denarii, a denarius, oh, there we go, plural of, uh, singular of denarii is denarius. Oh, you learn something every day, don't you? Um, uh, so, one denarii is about a day's money for the average labourer, okay? So, a hundred denarii, let's call that three months' money then, yeah? That's the, the amount of money that this other servant owes this servant. Turns out that our servant who's just been forgiven this massive debt is a closet bookkeeper himself, Yeah? This servant has obviously got no understanding of this, what has just happened with the king, has he? To react like that, he's missed something, hasn't he? He was in need of help, yeah? He's standing there before the king and he is in need of help. The only help that the servant can picture in his mind is the kind of help that would come and buy him a bit more time. Actually, the only type of help that he can imagine in his mind is probably somebody who's not really any better than him, in all honesty. Yeah? That's all he's got as a helper is, in his head, is, well, this is just going to be just someone just to get the pressure off me. He can't conceive of help that goes beyond his wildest dreams to complete freedom, complete redemption. He obviously thinks that the king is giving him the time he asked for to repay the money and has missed the point that his debt has been cancelled. He has totally missed the concept of grace. Verse 29, So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me and I will pay you. This is a bit of a deja vu moment, back to verse 26, yeah? They're saying the same thing. Have mercy on me, be big-hearted towards me, give me a break. Okay? This servant, however, in verse, verse 30, says, He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. That's quite a different response to the king. So we've got two pictures. We have a master who cancels an unforgivable debt against a servant. 
Yeah, we've got that picture on the one hand. Then on the other hand, we have a servant who appears to have missed his forgiveness and therefore refuses to forgive the smaller debt. Yeah? Pretty straightforward so far. Okay. So what did the king do that the servant did not do? The king appears to have given up on the debt. He dies to the debt. And in dying to it, he opens up a potentially new way of life for the servant, free from bookkeeping, free to live with a new identity. Okay? The basis of the king's behavior goes from money maker at whatever the consequences to freedom giver at any cost. The cost in this case was a billion pounds, let's say. The cost was actually everything. The cost was everything. And the king was prepared to pay it. The king was prepared to die to his old way of life, of bookkeeping, of being the businessman. The king actually gave up on holding the record of debt altogether. He died to that way of life. The servant has the opportunity to die to his old way of life, of closet bookkeeping, (laughs) and has the opportunity to live a new life, a life out of his forgiven state that he is now in. Do you see? In order for there to be forgiveness, there has to be death and there has to be resurrection. That's what Jesus is saying. Instead, what the servant does is he chooses to live according to his own measure rather than the measure that the king had ascribed to him. By refusing to die to himself, he cuts himself off from the joy of a grace-filled, debt-free new start. How does the king respond when he finds out that the servant responded in the way that he did? So verse 32 Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And you should not, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? In other words, what the king here is saying is, I did more for you than you could have asked or imagined, and I died for you so that you could have a new life. And you've responded to me as if I've shown you no kindness at all. Yeah. Now at this point, this parable of grace turns to a parable of judgment. So verse 34 and 35, And in, his, in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. As I said, this doesn't sound very grace-filled at this moment, does it? Oh dear. And we, a church that love to preach so much grace, (laughs) are now faced with verses 34 and 35. It sounds more like conditional forgiveness, doesn't it? Back at the beginning of this chapter... Jesus sets this whole thing up, okay? So he gets asked this question, who's the greatest? Who's the the greatest in the kingdom? And he says something else which sounds a bit judgmental. He says in verse 3, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, it's just as powerful, just as shocking actually, Bearing in mind that he's surrounded by disciples who have been following him, given up everything to be with him. Um, It's a pretty shocking thing for him to say. The point is this. These statements are totally and utterly grace-filled statements. Okay? The point that Jesus is making through the whole of this chapter is that you cannot forgive from your heart. In your own strength, you cannot do it. Okay?
the point is that you can only forgive if from your heart you have been forgiven. So attempting to forgive without having gone through that experience of having your identity taken from being closet bookkeeper to forgiven, you, you can't bridge the gap and forgive people from where you haven't been forgiven yourself. Do you see? So forgiveness becomes a gift of grace to be received and a fruit of grace to give. Grace has become to each one of us our billion pound debt. Uh, Sorry, grace has come to each one of us. Our billion pound debt has been cleared. How? Because the king died to the business of holding our debts against us. Okay, we're going to talk a little bit now of the application of this parable. Okay, are you all with me? It's a bit heavy, isn't it? But don't worry, because it is good, and uh, it does bring life to you, I promise. And if it doesn't, then you can get your money back at the end. Okay? Um, But I didn't write the parable, so don't shoot me. Um, Okay, receiving forgiveness. I think that the truth is some of us sometimes struggle with the concept of actually being forgiven in the first place. Some of us feel sometimes like actually what we've done is too much to be forgiven for. Like the server, we can slip into the lie that we have just been given a reprieve rather than a complete pardon. Yeah? We can think back, can't we, in our lives to all the naughty stuff that we've done. Even since we've become Christians, we can think back to the naughty stuff that we've done. And we can think, oh, I don't know if that's really forgiven. I know that, you know, we sing about God smiling over us and, you know, all of that, but, the, you know, I'm not so sure. No? Just me then? Okay. Um, I want to say this this morning. You have absolutely been forgiven for everything you have ever done wrong. Every sin, every error, every debt, every action, every thought, every word you've ever spoken. You absolutely have been forgiven for those things. Yeah? That's really good, isn't it? The truth is that we are loved unconditionally. Okay? You are loved unconditionally. Just turn to someone next to you. Just look at them. Okay, with that knowing look of you've been forgiven unconditionally. Okay? You absolutely have been forgiven. You are unconditionally loved. Your life is now hidden with Christ, the forgiver. Your new identity is forgiven. Okay? You may as well have walked in with a big label on that said forgiven on it. Okay? It's important that we see ourselves as forgiven. Our new identity in Christ is forgiven. Full stop. That's it. That's who we are. We are forgiven. We have the forgiver living inside each one of us right now. Okay? We need to see ourselves as being dead to our old self. And alive to our new self as forgiven. Otherwise, we are simply like the servant in the story, story, the story, who, who doesn't see it. He doesn't see his identity as shifting at all. He sees himself still as the unforgiven servant, and therefore he can't forgive the other debt. Um, Ephesians 1, verse 7, verses 7 to 10. This is a really long sentence. I don't know why Paul does this, but here we go. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. 
which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Okay, already forgiven, yeah? My identity in Christ is forgiver. I'm not only forgiven, my new identity in Christ is that I am a forgiver because I have the forgiver living inside of me. Therefore, he's made me alive to be a forgiver. He's made me alive to be somebody who forgives. The overflow of the forgiveness that I've received is that I forgive other people. Yeah? I think this is quite a key point for us. This has been a big point for me over the last few weeks. Understanding that my default is to forgive. What what comes out of me is forgiveness. To withhold forgiveness is living contrary to my identity as a forgiven son, a forgiven child of God. Yeah? Okay. So it is important that we receive our forgiveness and we live in the good of it. Please, can I encourage you, look in the mirror and smile at yourself. You have been forgiven. All the rubbish, all the dross, you can smile because it's all been wiped away. If you don't know Jesus here this morning and you want to, let me tell you this, you are forgiven, absolutely. Everything you've ever done wrong. The only thing you have to do is choose to believe it. That's the gospel. Okay? Forgiveness has already happened at the cross for you. You just have to receive it. Okay, what about forgiving ourselves? This is another one, isn't it? I know God forgives me, but I just don't know if I can forgive myself. Yeah? I've heard people say that. Particularly for people who are Christians. If you're already a believer and you stuff up, you go, well, okay, I understand the theology that God has forgiven me, but right now I feel rubbish because I have let myself down big time. I read a quote out a few weeks ago, which I probably should have included in this this morning, but it, it was a, a Packer quote, a J.R. Packer quote, and it went along the lines of um, knowing the worst things about you God already chose you and forgave you. He already knew the worst stuff about you before Jesus went to the cross, before they ever decide to go through what they're going to go through with. He already knew the worst stuff. There's nothing else he can find out about you that would possibly shock him, that would cause him to come to a different opinion of you. He's already seen the worst of you, the stuff that you really don't even want to look at in yourself. He's already seen that. So when it comes to forgiving ourselves, it actually comes down to receiving forgiveness from God again. It actually comes down to receiving his grace for you again. Because his opinion of you is more important than your opinion of yourself. Yeah, that, that is absolutely where God comes in. The point is that what, so the Holy Spirit who works in us, he works in us to remind us of who we are in Christ. Yeah, so forgiving ourselves is not actually a work that we have to do ourselves. We don't have to try and work it up. What we have to do is sit back and rest in God's forgiveness of us already, that he has already wiped your slate clean. And, and as we are born again in Christ and as we are filled with his spirit, 
what the Holy Spirit does is he comes like a mirror and he says, you know what, you look like this. You are clean, you are spotless, you're the righteousness of Christ because you're clothed in him. And as, as that revelation sweeps over us, as we wash ourselves in the truth of who he says we are, then actually his opinion of us becomes, it overshadows our opinion of ourself and our opinion of ourself has to shift. Does that make sense? Because otherwise you're just holding on to a lie and the lie is not coming from God. So what do you want to believe? Do you want to believe the truth of who God says about who we are or do we believe the lie that we're somehow clinging on to or maybe that the devil would like to remind us of? Yeah? Okay. Um, So forgiving ourselves is really an indication of whether we have actually received his forgiveness of us. Yeah? Yeah? I know this is hard, and I know if you've been through something that's tough, the reality of what I'm saying is hard. It's hard to swallow, isn't it? Um, but sometimes the truth is hard to swallow. Okay, forgiving others then. How are we doing for time? We're all right? Okay. Um, forgiving others. To withhold forgiveness is contrary to my identity in Christ, I said earlier. This is possibly an even harder thing than what we've talked about so far because there are loads of barriers which can prevent us from being able to forgive other people, aren't there? And there is a reality that there are probably numbers of people in this room who have been through difficult things where people have wronged you. Bad stuff has happened to you which has been the result of other people's actions. Yeah? It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a genuine group of people if that wasn't the case. Yeah? If we're honest with ourselves, there are things that we have been through where other people have hurt us. Yeah? Um... And there is pain that goes with that. And I don't, this morning, want to undermine any of the reality of that, of what maybe you feel. But I want to stick to what the Bible is teaching us in this passage. Um, Forgiving people is a process as well, isn't it? There is a process to walk through. You can be wronged by somebody. You can sit down with God and you can make a choice to forgive them. So that girl that I told you about earlier on whose stepfather had killed her mother, she had to work through a process of what that looked like because she sat down in a moment and thought, you know what, I'm going to declare that I have forgiven that person because I have been forgiven myself. The reality is, though, that like all of us, there comes a moment where we realise, actually, that still hurts. And it just lingers in our minds, doesn't it? The pain of it comes back to us. Maybe somebody else wrongs you, maybe in a completely different way. It might be a, a more insignificant way, but the reality of the first thing comes back. And you think, oh, I thought I'd dealt with that. And now it turns out I haven't dealt with that because it's still there and it's still lingering. And the reality is, again, that we cannot make this something we do. This is an act of grace. So therefore, to forgive means we have to sit back and say, Jesus, you have decided to forgive that person of the wrong that they've done already. And you, Jesus, live inside of me. So for me not to forgive them means that I'm going to be in conflict with you, Jesus. Now that's a real tough one. Because Jesus is in that person, he's forgiven that person too, in the same way he's forgiven you. So we can't make ourselves do this stuff. We have to sit back and trust in his ability to lead us through. We have to trust that there is grace for us to forgive. Okay? I wonder this morning if you've got any unforgiveness towards anyone. As I've been speaking on this, I wonder if there's anything you think, you know what, I haven't actually forgiven that person. That person that cut me up, that nicked my parking spot, that at the last Rolo, I don't know. Or maybe it's a more serious thing. Maybe it is someone who actually hurt you. 
in some way. Who stole from you in some way. I remember um, six weeks after my mum died, uh, my dad's house was burgled. And uh, every last bit of jewellery of my mum's was stolen. And, uh, and I remember talking about that, obviously, with my family. And, and the, the whole thing of, how do, how do you, you forgive someone? You, I'm never going to meet the, the guy that did that. Um, but I have to make a choice to let it go. I have to make a choice to die to the wrong of that, yeah? The, the impact that that had on me. I have to make a choice to die to the offence of it. It's not that what happened wasn't wrong. It was wrong. Jesus thinks it's outrageous that somebody would do that. Of course he does. He thought it was so outrageous that he went to the cross for that guy's sin. So it's not that it wasn't an outrageous crime. It was an outrageous crime. The point is that through me, me accepting Jesus' assessment of the burglar, I find there's grace for me to respond in the same way. And there is grace for all of us this morning to respond in the way that Jesus did to the people that hurt him and have hurt you. Because there's that moment, isn't there, where Jesus is on the cross or he's about to get put on the cross, I can't remember. And, and he says, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. You know, uh, right now, in, in today's terms, we've got the persecuted church. We have got believers who are being persecuted for their faith big time, um, who are physically suffering and dying for their faith. And yet they are able to forgive those that are hurting them, aren't they? And we hear stories after story of, of that sort of thing going on where actually forgiveness is absolutely possible. The only way that it's possible, though, is to see ourselves as forgiven and as living with the forgiver inside of us. Our identity is to forgive. Um, I've gone off my notes a little bit. Let me just check I'm all right. wanted to give a, a, a live example, as it were, of forgiveness. Um, a, ten years ago, my ex-wife committed adultery with another man at work, and um, the marriage broke up. I divorced her. And I knew it was like there was a rule that I had to forgive her um, because of what she'd done, and I tried to do that. I tried to, uh, I'd say it in my head, you know, on my own, I, f I forgive, I forgive you, I forgive you, but it didn't actually work, because the, the hurt and the rage was, was so strong, and, uh, and it's, you know, it's, it's not a rule that we have to forgive people, it's because Jesus has died for us, because he has forgiven us, and our identity is very much wrapped up with his, it becomes a thing of identity, then it's my second nature to forgive. Surely, if Jesus, if that's what he's done for us, and that's his nature, and he is in, is in us, then that's my nature then, isn't it? Um, so it's, it's not like a rule. Now, I didn't have that sort of, um, um, what do you call that? Uh, my, yeah, mindset at the time. But... There was one night, I was, I was going away for four months um, to Italy to get away from it all and uh, having some time off work. Uh, and God prompted me, he said, you need to meet up with her and forgive her, say it to her face. And in that moment, God did something in me that gave me the ability to do that and make it real. So I actually, I did forgive her. So we met up and... Uh, uh, in the town, and I said to her, I forgive you for what you've done. It hurt, it was wrong, but I forgive you. And that felt really important for me, but also it, immediately there was a release of all this, some of those bad, all those bad feelings and stuff. It's a really powerful thing. And so what I'm saying is that you can't make yourself do it. You can try as hard as you can, but it is, 
Jesus that does it. You ask for his help. The Holy Spirit is there to help us. He's our helper. So if you've got feelings against anyone, maybe in your family or at work or church or outside of the church, it's important to get this right, isn't it? It's what Jesus did. He, he, we want to be like him. Thank you. Thanks, Andrew. Um, okay, I'm going to wrap up. I just want to go back to um, this bit because I felt like I wasn't quite clear um, in, uh, in the parable at verse 34 and 35 where we've got this bit of judgment, yeah? I just want to unpack that a little tiny bit just before we finish. Um, so in this verse it said, And in, in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay off all his debt. So, this is the key bit, so also my father, my heavenly father, will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. There is a revelation here that Jesus has brought, yeah? The revelation is if we don't show forgiveness, then we won't be forgiven, okay? There is, then, a superior revelation to this okay it doesn't make this first revelation wrong but it means that this isn't a complete story okay so what we then read in ephesians is that in him so in christ we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses so it can't be that what has been forgiven in one hand has been taken away with the other and unforgiven do you see it either, it either is forgiven or it's not. Yeah? Our sins either are forgiven or they're not. So our sins absolutely have been forgiven. It's as we receive that and we see ourselves as forgiven rather than still like the servant did, that actually we are able to forgive from our heart. So... Is that helpful? Does that make sense? Um, yeah, certainly. If we don't choose to forgive. So are you talking in the eternal senses, what does that mean? Am I just making the, the answer to the question even harder for myself? <laughs> Let's go with the easy answer. Yeah. Yeah, so in this life then, in, if we choose to live with unforgiveness... Um, this bit in Ephesians, it finishes by saying that, the, that Christ's plan, that the Father's plan, was to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. The point of forgiveness is that it leads to unity. So whenever there is not forgiveness, then we are not in unity. If you are not forgiving somebody else, but Christ has forgiven them, clearly you're not in unity. You're not in union with Christ in the way that he would want you to be. That doesn't mean to say that he's left you, but it means that there is an obstacle to your ability to relate to him because you're not listening to what he's saying to you. In the same way that if we as a church function with unforgiveness, then we are disunite. We are in disunity. <laughs> We're not united, <laughs> um, and so therefore, so for the importance of forgiveness is actually that there is unity. Um, forgiveness. Yeah. Um, can we stand? I'd love to pray for us. I, it would be easy to feel a bit derailed by the end there, um, but I don't think we need to. I feel like for each of us, I want us to go away with that check of, okay, do I forgive easily when I'm wronged? Is, is, is my default to forgive or is my default to withhold forgiveness? Because actually, we, I want us as a church to learn what it is to forgive and to, to be 
working that out together. Because whatever happens, we're going to have conflict. That's why Jesus talked about it earlier in the chapter. There's going to be this and there's going to be that. But the reality is through him, we can forgive one another. He's still glorified. The church is still built. Yeah? And we are united. Let's just pray. Lord Jesus, I just want to ask that you would just take everything that I've spoken about this morning. And, uh, Lord, that anything that I've said that is not of you, Lord, I just pray that it would fall away from our ears, from our minds. Lord, that we wouldn't be troubled by it. Lord, I pray that um, the message that you want us to hear this morning would ring loud and clear. And uh, that you would speak over us that we are forgiven. Each and every one of us has been forgiven. And we can therefore see ourselves not only as forgiven, but also as ones who forgive. Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you that I don't have to be imprisoned by unforgiveness. I don't have to hold the wrongs of others against them. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you've made it possible. Lord, where you talked earlier in the chapter about um, whatever is bound on earth is, is bound in heaven and loosed on earth is loosed in heaven. Lord, the reality is that when we forgive others, we loose them of their debt and that is loosed in eternal senses as well. And we have that, we have that position. And um, Lord, I'm so grateful for that. Lord, I just pray for each person here that you would help us to walk this through. Lord, I pray if there are relationships here that are broken, if there is unforgiveness in any hearts, Lord, around this place, Lord, I pray that you give people the revelation that they are forgiven and the strength, therefore, to be able to forgive because that strength comes from you, Holy Spirit. And I thank you that there is nothing that is too big. There is nothing that cannot be forgiven. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray for unity around this church. I pray for us to grow together. Lord, I pray that we would not be afraid to look at difficult passages, difficult bits of scripture. God, I thank you that we are um, able to question. I thank you that we're able to um, discuss these things openly and and work it through and come to come to biblical um, uh, perspectives on these things, Lord. I pray you'd, you'd um, bring further revelation to us on this stuff, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Okay. Thank you. If anyone would like to be prayed for... Um, for any of this stuff just come and find one of us down here um, we'll hang about um, and, uh, but otherwise if you can go and grab your children that would be fantastic thank you <laughs>